Hello, jailbirds and juvenile delinquents and all the ships at sea, and welcome to A Very Good Year, the movie podcast where we invite a guest to pick their favorite year of movies and talk to us all about that year. I'm your host, Jason Bailey, and across the mic and across the country from me is my co-host, Michael Hull. Our guest today, you guys, is just a fantastic film critic and historian and essayist. Uh, she's got bylines at RogerEbert.com, Film Comment, Sight and Sound, The Criterion Collection, all the big ones, folks. The New York Times, The Los Angeles Times, many, many more. She also writes at her own site, ShilohMalley.com, and at ShilohMalley.substack.com. She's also a member of the New York Film Critics Circle. Folks, here's Sheila O'Malley. Hi, Sheila. Hi. Thank you for having me. Lovely introduction. Thank you so much for coming on. I knew that we had to. I'm like, Sheila is so tuned in to the eras that I don't know much about. The sort of the the the, the blind spots that we have acknowledged going in uh, that I that I knew yeah. that you were going to that you were going to bring us some good stuff. Uh, so tell let's get right to it. What year did you decide to talk to us about and why did you pick this particular year? So I picked 1953, uh, not because it's my favorite. Um, 1939, I heard, was taken, ah. which is not surprising. <laughs> but um, 53 is interesting. Um, there was a lot going on that year. Like a lot of changes were already happening in this like studio system. It was already starting to kind of crack mm. and new things were happening. We sort of understand that that really started happening in the sixties with like Cleopatra and all of these, you know, and then easy rider came and just changed the game. Sure. But those things were already kind of in place in 1953. And it's right before James Dean arrives. Mm -hmm. It's literally the moment before. So I like those sort of moments before mm -hmm. where everything really changes um, because you can almost see like the ground is already set for something to happen. Something right. is coming. And, you know, anyway. Any other uh, significant, uh, handsome young men uh, sort of uh, on the verge of, of cracking through in 53? Well, you know that I wanted to pick 1956 because that was when Elvis made his <laughs> debut. Um, yes. Or one of the movies in the 60s that were horror. I really almost was wanted a perverse pleasure being like, <laughs> Let's talk about let's talk about, let's talk about clam bake, you guys. Let's go. No, that one I draw the line. But um, so, but he, you know, one of the films we're going to talk about had a huge influence on him. Mm. Had a huge influence on James Dean and base Martin Sheen. Like anyone who was a young teenage guy, yeah, they started. It was just this anyway. Um, so that sort of cultural. I don't know what you would call it wave that was occurring again. I wasn't there, so I'm sure people can correct me, but teenagers were becoming a thing. Right. The war was over. There was this new demographic who just kind of wanted to hang out. And that was very sort of threatening and um, is part of what was happening in the studio as the studio system. The old guard is still there trying to respond to this. Right. And um, as as you mentioned, obviously these these predate you. These are films that you discovered sort of later on in other formats. What? But you are like like one of the things that I love about your writing is you are so sort of steeped and knowledgeable in fifty cinema, which, as I say, is a is a bit of a blind spot for me. How did you? How? What sort of brought you as a younger film lover, film goer, to to appreciate and understand this period? 
Um, well, I've written about this before in one of those, on a cold, dark day when I was 12, my life changed <laughs> when the afternoon movie came on, you know, so everyone has to write one of those. Um, but for me, it was East of Eden, which is mm. such a cliche. It, it was as though it was a current movie. Yeah. I had no idea who he was or that it was old because it was a long time ago and it was like there were three channels. Right. I mean, you just didn't know what you were. <laughs> and uh, even it was the first shot of him sitting on the curb watching this woman walk by. And I, it was like, uh, you know, looking back on it, it's like I was a teenager back then. Mm. And so that sort of began, who is this guy? Who, and I worked in a library. So I was re this is before the internet people. Where James Dean. So that led me to Baby Doll because Carol Baker was connected and Ilya Kazan. Mm -hmm. And so I just followed, I was interested in acting. And it was a very short leap to sure, Marlon Brando. Sure. So, and those are so, but I, we didn't have a v, VCR. So it was like relying on TV guide listings. You know? <laughs> like, when is this coming? So that was really the start. Um, yeah. Okay. East of Eden. It was East of Eden for sure. Beautiful. Well, you know what? Many many an endeavor has been uh, has been begun in pursuit of a of a gorgeous teenage person. So yeah. uh, <laughs> so we can certainly understand. All right. Well, you've got a spectacular top five picked out for us, uh, and we're going to get to it in just a moment. But before we do, Mike is going to walk us through a sort of alarmingly eventful year uh, outside the movie palace. Here's headlines. Like strap on, get a get yourself a padded jacket. Try to try to squeeze into the seatbelt next to the seatbelt you're supposed to be wearing. This is the craziest, most jam packed, wild ass headline segment I think we've ever done. Nice. January fourteenth, set it off. Marshal Tito becomes the head of the government of Yugoslavia, a position he would more or less hold for the next thirty years. Uh -huh. Not a great guy. Not exactly a beacon of hope. All right. Not well known, I don't think, in America, but a very big deal in. Uh, but a huge in, movie fan. Huge. Oh. And right. And the, the story of Tito in movies, is, it is one of those like Kim Jong un sort of. Yeah. <laughs> and they're similar in other ways to North Korea. Anyway, yeah. Check out Tito in movies. Uh, sorry. Busy year. I got to keep going. Also, <laughs> January 14th. The CIA-sponsored Robertson panel meets the first time to investigate the UFO phenomenon. And the cover-up begins. I mean, in 1953, like, yeah. I feel like that's, you know, you sort of hear Roswell, but you don't necessarily mm. hear CIA cover-up mm -hmm. so early, right? Okay, so, so far we've got Yugoslavia and UFOs. A 26-year-old ex-GI arrives home from Denmark where doctors converted him into a woman. Two years ago, the name was George Jorgensen. Today, it's Christine. Have you been offered a movie contract? Yes, but I haven't accepted it. Do you uh, do you have any plans regarding the theater? No, I don't think so. And Christine! Uh, are you going to go on with your photography? I hope so, yes. In February, transsexual Christine Jorgensen returns home to New York after having successful sex reassignment surgery in Denmark. I think this was the first time. Most Americans knew such a thing was even possible. All right. Much respect to Christine Jorgensen. Yeah, it's uh yeah, that's a good that's a, there's a there's a deep story there too about sort of dealing with this as a public figure in a very mm -hmm. you know, in a very Eisenhower kind of <laughs> 
and kind of button down kind of time. Okay, you still got your seatbelt on? Yep. Also in February, James Watson and Francis Crick announced they've discovered the structure of DNA. That seems important. That seems important, and yeah. we're just getting started. Okay. His people regarded as a god this man who was born the son of a shoemaker. For above all, he became a star to guide them to a more prosperous way of life. In return, they gave him their undying devotion and accepted his every word as law. But one thing Stalin did not give them, their freedom. And that, to countries outside the Iron Curtain, means all. March 1st, Joseph Stalin has a stroke. Oops. Watch the excellent film, The Death of Stalin, for actual, mostly factual details on this utterly hilarious day. All right. That's a great movie, and that shit is mostly true, even though it's like Jeffrey Tambor. Yeah. Uh, and then Stalin died on March 5th, so... Yay! Uh, Big hand for the Grim Reaper, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Also in March... Jonas Salk announces the polio vaccine. Let's Yay! fucking go. It's not even warm out yet. Okay, May 5th. Aldous Huxley tried mescaline for the first time. And I realize that doesn't seem like a big deal on its face. Except that then everyone who is inventing new literature, new music, new movies, new art, new advertisements, all read his book, The Doors of Perception. They all went and ate some mushrooms or some acid or some mescaline or some shit. And they completely reinvented invented modern culture. So that actually turns out to have been a very big deal. Nice. Wow. And and then the uh the title of the book influenced uh <laughs> the band that we all liked when we were teenagers and didn't know any better. Okay, here we go. Some guys started a band. They yes, did. that is also. They yep. did indeed. In June, little Lizzie Windsor became queen of England and oh. wouldn't get her farting self out of that chair for years. <laughs> they had to change that cushion when she was gone. All right. The electric chair awaited the two convicted spies as the hour of their final reckoning approached. And then it was over. Julius and Ethel Rosenberg had paid their debt to society with their lives. For the first time in its 177-year history, a United States civil court had decreed and followed through on the execution of two native-born Americans on the charge of espionage. Uh, later in June, Julius and Ethel Rosenberg were executed for giving secrets to the Soviet Union. Right. A lot of people at the time said they had been framed and should not have been executed. However you feel about the death penalty, at this point, there is plenty of evidence to prove they were guilty as fuck. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they definitely did that shit. Yeah. They did all, they did all the things they were accused of, maybe yeah. more. Uh, yeah. Uh, in July, was the Korean armistice that turned the Korean War from hot to cold. All right. So, solved that problem straight away, 53. Mm -hmm. uh, in August, the U.S. and the British led the overthrow of democratically elected head of state Mohammad Mossadegh in Iran, which led to us installing the Shah, which led to the revolution in 79. This was a very bad move in a very bad time in the history of our intelligence services. Wait, our um, intelligence services made a bad call about a, an overseas dictator? Overplayed their hand in the 50s and 60s? Really? Our guys? You don't say. Deck wanted to nationalize the oil. That was oh. his big crime. He was yeah. like, it's ours. And they we were like, mm -mm. Mm -mm. <laughs> And at that point, England was making 80% of the money from the oil that was going out of Iran. So, like... Huh. I, oh, he was wasn't mad. wrong. <laughs> in September was the discovery of REM sleep. I keep hearing about that. I feel like it's something what? I should try. I uh, <laughs> rumor has it it's good for you. What do you mean the discovery of it? Like that's wild. 
Yeah, I mean, and this is what I'm saying is like this year is just you, you got to have seatbelts because we're all <laughs> over the place. It's not just sort of like, you know, like 1939, 1945, like there's pretty much a, you know, there's a through line to the news, sure. you know, but 53 just feels like like all of a sudden everybody didn't have to focus on Nazis for, free time. Uh, for a little free while. Time. And so they just went and did yeah. a bunch of other shit, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Including in October was the first meeting of alcohol. Alcoholics Anonymous. All right. So many things. Yeah. Oh. Also, that fall, Laos and Cambodia became independent of France. All right. Good. They both had civil wars pretty quickly thereafter, but we're going to mark their independence days with there an exclamation go. point. And in December, the FCC approved color television for broadcast to American homes. Yay. What a year. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that was sort of a big deal. That was. Turns out that color TV thing. Yes. Uh, there's there was more TV news. 1953 was the first year the Academy Awards ceremony was broadcast on television. Very good. So all the cinephiles could sit at home starting in 1953 and get pissed off by the end of the night. Great. So that was when Academy blogging started. Yes. Obviously, <laughs> Ricky, this is it. Also uh, broadcast on the fancy TV box, Lucy gave birth to Lil Ricky in Yay! an episode of I Love Lucy that was watched by a strikingly precise 71.1% of TV sets in the country. Yeah. Haven't been able to f I haven't been able to see where them show their math anywhere on that number, but that's the number. This record uh, has yet to be broken and, in fact, was wow. more people than tuned in to watch Dwight Eisenhower get sworn in the next day. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Tenzing Norgay and Edmund Hillary summited Mount Everest for the first time like a couple of fucking lunatics no thank you yeah uh now there's there's uh there's dead body signposts all the yeah. way up that yeah. should be a sign yeah to you yeah. that should be a sign some people were born in 1953 starting with my father a genuinely Aww. beautiful human who has made this yeah. world a better place with every day he's been on it Yay. and he don't even listen to this podcast nope. or any podcast <laughs> that's how you know i really mean it yeah less important uh but also technically born in 1953 pat benatar jim jarmusch Eric Bogosian, Kim Gordon from Sonic Youth, who seems come, perpetually like 28 to me. Coming right yeah. out of the shoot with the Dream Blunt rotation. Nice, Mike. Yes. <laughs> That's a hang right there. <laughs> Lucinda Williams, Mary Steenburgen, Paul Allen, Ricky Steamboat. Uh, he was a wrestler in the 80s. Okay, if you don't thank know you. about Ricky Steamboat, <laughs> go you. look up Ricky Steamboat on YouTube. Do yourself a favor. Enjoy that. Uh, Tokyo Sexuale, author Carl Hyacin. Oh, yeah. America's mustachioed sex offender uncle, Ron Jeremy. No, thank you. Shaka Khan, Rick Shaka Moranis. Khan. Shaka Khan. Yeah. Shaka Khan. Yeah. Shaka Khan. I'm sorry. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Pierce Brosnan, Alfred Molina, All presidential right. candidate Cornell West. He's done other things, too, but right now, yeah. as we record this, he's a presidential candidate. Yeah. Uh, General Secretary of the Communist Party is Xi Jinping. Xi Jinping. Xi Jinping. Got that backwards because that's not how it's spelled okay. in, when you pronounce it in English. Who probably never thought he'd be on a list with Cindy Lauper, but hey, here we are. <laughs> You're welcome, Z. You're welcome. I did that for you, buddy. Yeah. Leon Spinks, Tim Gunn, Yahoo Serious. Ken Burns, uh, Nan Golden, if you haven't seen the nice. recent movie about Nan Golden, do yourself a favor. Yep. T. 
Tico Torres. Do you know who Tico Torres is? No. I, I do not. He's the only member of Bon Jovi who matters. He's the drummer. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that shit should be called Bon Torres. Tony <laughs> Shaloub, Tito Jackson, Kate Capshaw, Kevin Nealon, Kim Basinger, Sam Kinison, John Malkovich, Bill Pullman. You could make a movie out of 53 people. Yeah. And finally, Pamela Hayden, the voice of Millhouse. All right. A true wow. G, a true entertainment uh, industry uh, yeah. G. In sports, on November 25th, Hungary beat England 6-3 to at Wembley Stadium, also known as the match of the century, mostly notable for being the first time England was beat at home by a football team from the continent, which is only important if you're a big fan of either English soccer or watching English people lose at soccer because you know they really hate losing at soccer. Sure. So, yeah, match of the century, 1953. Okay. Uh, Celtic beat Hibernian 2-0 to to win the coronation. Cup and Barcelona set atop La Liga. I don't know what any of that all meant. I don't know what any of those words meant in relation to each other, Mike. None. That sentence was, I guess, not for you then. The Yankees beat the Brooklyn Dodgers four games to two to win a very exciting Subway Series. Oh, I know. Rocky Mm -hmm. Marciano defended his world heavyweight title in September. He beat Joe Lewis's ass. (laughs) Yes, he did, but not in 1953. Rocky Marciano wouldn't <laughs> Native Dancer won two out of the three Triple Crown races, which is enough for a mention on this podcast, but not enough for a Triple Crown. Uh-huh. And finally, there was not a World Cup in 1953, but they did have the first Pan Arab Games, at which 650 athletes from nine countries competed in 10 different sports. The games were held in Alexandria, <laughs> Egypt, and Egypt won 67 of the 70 gold medals that year. So, Jesus. Make of that shit what you will. That's headlines. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Uh, we do have a top five list to get to or I, or I could regale you with the entire barbershop scene from coming to America which <laughs> I learned by heart off VHS when I was 13 years old and has never left my noggin sometimes I have to pause for a moment to remember my children's birth date but he beat Joe Lewis's ass is right here right here for the rest of my days all right Sheila O'Malley you ready to do a top five list yes All right, what, where, okay, so we decided we're going to do a, a sort of a random list. This is not ranked. I want to make sure that's clear for any any rank aficionados out there. Uh, so where shall we begin? What what will we start our rundown of the best movies of 1953 with, Sheila O'Malley? Let us start with Billy Wilder's Stalag 17. Yeah, life was confining, but never dull in Stalag 17. The boys were up to something new every minute. There were the races every afternoon. The dance on Saturday night. Did anybody ever tell you you had the most beautiful legs in the world? The cocktail hour when the bar was open. What are you serving today? Nitric acid. Beautiful. Okay. So so this is striking when you watch it because it's like, oh, this is what Hogan's Heroes was trying to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's just spread it out. Yes. Let's just keep it there forever. Yes. Yeah, like kind of a funny, you know, Colonel Clink, like a kind of charming, <laughs> goofy Nazi, you know. Um, but you can also see Great Escape. Like there were all of these um, kind of stories you know, there was a book that was written, to, I mean, of these airmen who mm. were just, you know, left to, you know, build tunnels. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what they all did. Um, 
I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not going to say this is my favorite on the list that I picked, but I, it's one of my favorite, if not my favorite, Billy Wilder mm. film. Um, I just think it has this, there's a black heart there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's all of these like shenanigans and all of the guys, which to me is a little, it doesn't always work like animal the kind of like big betty grable guy like i i mean he was nominated for an, i don't i'm not really into it the bluto um, blatarski of stalling 17 yeah like it's a little like hey honey what's the you yeah, know yeah. um but you know it you get to know every single person in that at barracks which yeah. really works um and but it so it has that comedic element but in this in William Holden's character Sefton, it just the way how hard Billy Wilder and William Holden resist sentimentalizing him, yeah. softening him, mm-hmm. um, is very bold. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes a little bit to what I was saying um, before in the opening that things were like cracking apart a little bit. We're a little bit far away from we're like almost. 10 years away from the end of the war. So patriotism is a little, it's not motivation for right. anything with these guys right. or with Sefton for sure. Or with Billy Who, Wilder for that matter. With Billy Wilder. This is as hard as he went. Yeah. I mean, I may be missing something, but in terms of, I mean, he said it himself that Sefton was the closest that he felt was himself. Oh, wow. Um, and that William Holden, he had such a soft spot for him. He loved him so much. Um, and I think because of this mm-hmm. performance. So I don't know. I To me, that it's that kind of, not psychological study, but a watching William Holden just withhold. Mm. He withholds and smolders. His kindness is there, but it's very targeted. Yeah. And um, I just think it's, I don't know. I love it's anti, I mean, it's real anti here. I mean, he rejects being a hero. Right. He's going to, he gives him a little, you know, like a little smile before he leaves. But before that, he's like, if I ever see any of you again, I'm going to pretend I don't know you. And he means it. Yeah. It's not a joke. You guys yeah. suck. Yeah. You suck. Yeah. And I think that's, um, I don't know. I find it refreshing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Honest. Uh, it's honest it is it is we gotta i think take just a pause uh for for otto preminger in this movie who like holy shit it's the tension between when you see him in a movie and then when you hear about him as a director it's just like it seems like there's very little real estate there yeah (laughs) but and that he asked him is that he is very funny like uh, the, the moment where he puts on his boots to take the phone call yeah it's big and meanwhile there's a guy he's torturing yeah. literally right there but he's like i must put on my boots to take the phone call now i take the boots off um so they are all a little bit ridiculous yeah and you you know what the whole war was about is not even yeah. kind of on the table right um yeah, no, I mean, it's it's about that war in much the same way that MASH was about the Korean War. Like, it's just sort of the background. It's not really about yeah. the particulars of it. I will say this, too. The other thing that I loved about this was finally getting to see um, Sig Ruman in a non-Marx Brothers movie was like a real yeah. a real sort of, oh, he did some other shit, too. Good for Sig Ruman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that a lot. I think they're all so good, Yeah, you know, and, and it's very... Um, 
you know, honest about PTSD. There's the mm-hmm. one guy who was just completely shattered. And I'm not saying these things didn't exist before Stalag 17. It just kind of, it does stand out in that, what we talk about with the Eisenhower kind mm-hmm. of conformity. This is about being an individual. This is yeah. anti-groupthink, anti-consensus. Mm-hmm. Consensus gets it wrong mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so distrust it. Yeah. I don't know. It's cynical. It's definitely a pessimistic and cynical film. And um, and God bless it for that. <laughs> yeah, it's honest, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love I love the film. Definitely. All right, Sheila, what then is the next movie on your top five for 1953? Oh, the earrings of Madame De. Max Ophuls. Yeah. Um, honestly, this, I, I looked at the sort of, I mean, it's listed as 1953. I think some of these may have hit the United States in 1954, but. These things I, were harder know. to trace then, so it's I fine. Did, yeah, 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 exactly. Um, I mean, I think it's like a, a masterpiece. And um, I came to this one very late. Mm-hmm. So I've enjoyed reading other people mm-hmm. on it to kind of absorb what I've missed. Because I came to it, I don't know, last 15 years or something. You know, I I am very familiar. I love Letter from an Unknown Woman. I love Caught mm. uh, with Barbara Bel Geddes. I mean, he's he's so interesting on women, just yeah. l- f- completely destructing um, with these either powerful men or charming. Like when they fall in love, when his women fall in love, they just are like shit is over. Just, yeah, let me just shovel my grave <laughs> right now. Um, but this one is particularly I have no idea what it must have felt like in 1953 to see this 1954 like it's so out of you know it takes place in the past and it has nothing to do with anything any normal people that kind of wealth and silliness and it's very European Um, also like everybody's in the military but they're not actually doing anything military they're just sort of standing around in fancy jackets and like saluting at each other and trying not to bump into each other with their swords yeah you know it's like what a a very fascinating way to show generals in a movie yeah kind of silly guys like not what do you it's all status um like, where are they? Are they in a garrison town? Is there, you know, is it like the Habsburgs? Like, I don't know what is happening, but, um, you know, I mean, we can talk about a couple different things. I, I mean, I think it's, it, it blows me away every time I see it. I think Danielle Daria, it's like one of the great performances, um, in cinema. Mm-hmm. And I had heard so much about it because I'm, come through my life and I'm catching up. Sure. I didn't go to school. So I'm like, oh, I got to fill these gaps. And um, I'd heard about this performance and I went into it open. I don't go in like, well, show me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, this is why everybody talks about this performance. Yeah. I, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's, you can't believe that the woman that you see at the beginning i still don't know how she does it mm-hmm. she's so deeply shallow mm-hmm. if that is a thing um in the beginning that you can't believe she's ever even possible to fall apart the way right. that she does right. and um her refrain of i don't love you i don't love you is just like it just it peeled the paint off me it's an incredible yeah, like falling into that door yes I know. 
her yes. gestures and her, she literally could see the life mm-hmm. draining out of her. Dan Callahan wrote a really great piece on, um, on her on rogerebert.com. So mm. I just want to, people can go find it. Cause he really kind of, he looks at her career as a whole. Um, he said something like, wait, I wrote something down that she is, the unfinished woman being finished by love, wow. which I just love that wow. she's yeah. not a finished person. It reminds me a lot of um, a doll's house, Ibsen's a doll's house, sure. because she was chosen. There were probably women who were living much, you know, lives, mm-hmm. actual real lives, no matter, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. she is chosen to be silly and shallow. Right. She may feel like that's the only, but I'm sorry, honey, if other people make other choices, then, you know, it's, and you could see Nora in a doll's house, like she chose her own prison yeah, and then had to break out of that prison and ruined her life and everybody else's. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful, uh, powerful. uh, Yeah. It snuck up on me. It really does sort of sucker punch you this one. You have to kind of get into it. I don't know. You have to kind of submit yeah. to the artifice. Yeah. Which he helps, I think, with the filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it, the shots are just, see, there are times I can just watch it and go, okay, now what is, how is he doing that? Right. With the camera. And there are so many mirrors. Like, how are we not seeing the camera? He wanted to do the whole thing through the mirrors. Wow. He wanted to do the whole movie, like, just with reflections. And they were like, um, no. But, <laughs> they were um, like, no, weirdo. No, you no, may not. We're not doing that. But there's so much of it is through that. Yeah. Um, so his filmmaking is just ugh, so much fun to watch. Well, let's stay international. What uh, What is the third movie on your top five list, Sheila? Well, Tokyo Story. I mean, any, you know, it's another master, one of the great films like ever made. And I, it was like fresh in my, it just, um, I just saw it at Ebert Fest. It was Mm. one of the films. They were screening at Ebert Fest in this massive movie palace with like 1,500 people. And it was a 9 a.m. screening wow. and it was packed. Wow. Just, your heart explodes and you feel like life might be a good thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was, okay, we're all here with our coffee and we're here to see this. And I had never seen it on a big screen. Yeah. So um, it's overwhelming. And uh, I don't know. It was touching me because as your parents get older, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you want to be, you want to be present to them. You don't want to be those fucking kids mm. in that movie who just miss the point of life and treat their parents like shit. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> no, no, thank no. You. It's so infuriating. And this, you know, daughter-in-law who doesn't even have a husband, she's the one who's like, understands oh they want to have fun they want to walk around they want to like have some food and just they don't care what they do they just want to see their family like um it it it's not a movie i don't know i take it very personally obviously i don't know i don't know why but um yeah 
I do. Okay. I know why. I hated this movie. I had never seen it before. And so this is a first time watch for me. And I'm watching this movie and I'm like, you know, having all the feelings that you're talking about with the kids and like, what's the matter with you? You know, they came to see you and all these kinds of things. This is the thing. Like, you watch, I mean, you grow up watching horror movies and disaster movies and all these things that are like supposed to scare you, you know? And it's always, and you always know, like, you're going to turn the movie off and go home. Right. You know, always yeah. like the scariest movie. You're sort of like scared in the moment. But as soon as the movie's done, like Freddy's not going to come get you. You know, mm-hmm. this movie oh, is the best case scenario. The best case scenario is that your kids grow up to have lives and be productive, happy, busy people with their own children and their own lives. The best case scenario is you and your mate grow old together and one of them dies in the house. Like this sad, hard, wonderful movie (laughs) is a best case scenario. And it's worse than any horror movie I've ever seen, (laughs) any disaster movie I've ever seen. It's worse than anything I've ever seen because it's definitely gonna happen if you're lucky <laughs> oh my god this it's movie true. is so good oh my god this movie fucking broke me in half yeah. in half yeah. and like I'm I now live like I we mentioned as we were talking before 10 minutes away from my parents who are now in that you know that sort of and we live here so my grandchildren you know my kids can have a relationship with my parents so my wife can have a relationship with my parents yeah. this movie is really really good and i'm telling you i hated it and and someday it's going to be my favorite movie <laughs> like it's just one of those like if i get lucky enough to 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 become that guy in this horrible movie, it's going to be my favorite movie, and I'm going to watch it every day. Thank you so much for Tokyo Story. Oh, my God. And on that conflicted note. <laughs> I love it. It's awesome. I'm going to be thinking about that. And thus, we shall continue our tour through the, the international art house cinema. Sheila, what is movie number four on your 53 top five? I had to go with Summer with Monica. Yeah. Ten years there comes a picture that everybody talks about. This time it's Monica, the story of a bad girl, starring the sensational young Swedish actress Miss Harriet Anderson in a picture that had to be filmed extra wide for broad screens, extra bold for broad minds. Don't miss Monica, filmed in beautiful Sweden. Because this is, um, you know, Ingmar Bergman's, like, not his first, but, like, his, you know, it, it's starting to make some ripples. It's yeah. starting. I think it was Smiles of on a Summer Night that really made, it was a big, the big hit. Mm-hmm. But I, what I like about, you know, we, obviously, America got foreign films, but I think a lot of that was interrupted by World War II. Like, mm. there were distribution. It was all this, people were making movies in, you know, war-torn, all this kind of stuff. So stuff is starting to, again, this is, you know, I don't think it's his best film. I love the film. Mm-hmm. Harriet Anderson is just a, a fave mm-hmm. of mine. But um, it also speaks to what I was talking about earlier. I'm hoping I'm not per- repeating myself of this sort of youthful, mm-hmm. the rise of the teenager that is, we've always had teenagers, but they became a thing. Um, a power to be reckoned with in the fifties and they were rejecting what their parents 
were, again, I wasn't there. So please yell at me if I'm generalizing. I understand. I'm just talking about sort of, you know, we had like On the Road, which mm-hmm. came later in the 50s. We had um, another movie we'll be talking about. We There was a lot of like kids were, what's the matter with kids today? Like mm-hmm. kids were starting to be a problem. Yeah. And um, they were not um, sort of blindly accepting what was handed to them by their shitty parents. You know what I mean? They were like, I want to go live on a boat mm-hmm. and I'm going to get pregnant and kind of not even care. I mean, that whole part of it, like I'm pregnant. Oh, well, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think it's, it's, um, I watched it again. I haven't seen it in a long time and it's really kind of disturbing and it's like this utopia and then the opposite. Yeah. And, you know? Yeah. No, the way it runs the gamut from this really sort of charming uh, portrait of the the flush of first love uh, yeah. all the way to this just completely miserable marriage and how a real relationship can go to those extremes. Uh, I, I, it does not they're seem. Like they're like 18 years yeah. old. They're still like, yeah. It doesn't seem schematic. It doesn't seem, you know, form like formulaic in any way. It seems like a really natural progression of events that these are two people who could be this hot for each other, who could fall into this intense of a love and that it could curdle so completely. Um, it's, it's so deftly keenly observed in Bergman's script. It's so beautifully played by the two of them. Uh, totally believe they're like, just so sweetly in love and passionate with each other and you know you know it would have gone south if they stayed on the boat i mean you i i'm like well if they just stayed on the boat and like no no (laughs) i was 18 once too and i was in love and we all know how that went you know (laughs) you cannot actually stay on the boat forever whether it's a literal or a figurative boat you cannot stay on the boat forever we've all been on the boat we've all wanted to stay on the boat can't stay on the boat so, I, I mean, just talking sort of metaphorically and big picture, I feel like there was a yearning to be out on that boat, yeah. like on the road, whatever, whatever these sort of, I don't want to be in Eisenhower's, I don't want to put on a suit. Mm-hmm. I don't want to come back to the suburbs. I'm not ready for that. Yeah. I don't want to do that. And um, I think he just captures that and his actors just feel like they are in that world. It doesn't seem like acting. But then you have the moment which just gives me chills where she stares right at the camera, mm-hmm. daring you to judge her. Mm-hmm. She's out, she's at a bar, she gets her, and she just looks you dead on. And that's Bergman. Yeah. It's the face. Everything gets dark around her. And she's like, yeah, I'm doing like n- not even embarrassed. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The ideas that you're talking about, about sort of uh, kicking off the shackles of the comfortable life and, conformity and so forth which we brought up before obviously we'll come to a head in the final film in our list which we're going to get to in two seconds the one thing i just want to point out here not to work blue not to be a dirty old man about it but i think it is important to note that the nudity in this movie you know the 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 side boob the uh the butt shot um this i think is it's impossible to overstate how key this was 
to these international films finding an American audience. That's yeah. so much of the fact that these that these films came to America and made money was because it was like, hey, you hear you go see this summer yeah. with Monica, you got a little side boob in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is also innocent. Yeah. Like it's pre- presented like, oh, I'm just naked because I'm with my boyfriend right. and we're all naked with our boyfriends. Like, big whoop. Why is everyone making so? I don't know. It's, it's, it's refreshing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, she's almost daring you to be dirty about it. Right. She's in love. Yep. And her clothes stink because she's living on a boat. Yes. So she's got to go into a tide pool. And, but yeah, I can't even imagine when you see what else is out there in America. Mm-hmm you know what it must have been like to see that yeah. film yeah astonishing all right we've circled it we've hinted at it we've uh we've we've broadly gestured towards it but sheila what is the fifth and final and perhaps key film of your top five of 1953 i mean it's got to be the wild one right hey johnny make a load of this they're real bells aren't they cute crazy Somebody tell me what that means. BRMC. What does it mean? Black Rebels Motorcycle Club. <laughs> Isn't that cute? <laughs> hey, Johnny, what are you rebelling against? What do you got? <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's wild one. What else can it be? <laughs> yes. You know, this film was, is I would say, is still influential. I mean, in Twin Peaks, we saw right. Wally Brando as this, mar- you know, the ridiculous, but was kind of an accurate... <laughs> imitation yeah you know yeah which is it was so funny because it was so unlikely it was but anyway um brando was already a big star i mean we're not talking about some guy coming in from out of nowhere but you know and he's obviously um well i mean he's like a sex pot he is like he's one of those people who he he just exudes this this almost like Mick Jagger does. I don't know. Like I'm just walking in my own circle of hotness, mm-hmm. and, but he owns it. I don't know. Yeah. And this is almost camp. He knows exactly what he's doing, the way he walks, you know, the way he just sort of walks into the um, bar and like sets each chair. He's such a brat. Mm-hmm. Like no one's sitting in those chairs, but he's like, I'm going to touch the world and make it move i wrote a piece about that for um i wrote a piece about brando for film comment and it's like everything like i'm gonna put the coin on the table and just go like this Mm -hmm. i I mean it you know nobody's telling him to do that nobody's directing him to do that right um so but beyond brando it's hard to get past brando um because it is one of those performances um, it was, you know, a serious, I have quotes around it. You know, it was a serious movie. It's sort of seen as like the first kind of biker gang right. type movie which overtook the world in the 60s and stuff. But it's a Stanley but, Kramer production. So it's all about this like serious social ill. And it's got that big, uh, that big opening text, uh, you know, to assure yeah. us of how important it yes. is. And- well, because there was like Hunter Thompson wrote this whole book about the mm-hmm. Hell- Hell's Angels. And they keep referencing this riot in Hollister, California, which Life Magazine had written about where bikers took over this town. And I mean, it wasn't as charming and sweet as what we see <laughs> in the wild one where they're like jigger bugging with the girls no <laughs> they're dragging them into the bushes yeah. um so it was seen as and so all of the the biker guys seem very cutesy a little bit a very sort of hollywoody but 
um, you know, the center of it is this really pleasurable, just almost ridiculously charismatic performance. And he elevates, he's every single person who, oh, Lee Marvin as well Mm -hmm. is fantastic. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. um, So I think symbolically it, it definitely is showing things are going to be different from now on. Yeah. The the kids are on, the kids are rising and they don't give a fuck. So, well, and, and, and I think, what it captures so remarkably is the anxiety therein. You know what I mean? That it is like it's the Brando performance almost exists in spite of the movie. Like you're not supposed to be as attracted to him as you are because the movie is so much about like, you know, watch out middle-class people. There's nothing more terrifying than your children, you know? And, um, you know, because it's Brando, everyone's like, please come into my town. (laughs) Please, motorcycle gang. Yes. You know, and, uh, but, you know every choice he makes is a vulnerable one. Yeah. Every watch, he's literally, every choice he makes is vulnerable. He almost never, he never yells. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of very quiet. It's, you know, ridiculous in a way that I'm saying that in a absolutely affectionate way. Just watching him do his thing is yeah. like so entertaining. Yeah. Well, and I do think Mary Murphy, um, is oh, pretty great. spectacular. I mean, just yeah, just how much of the movie rides on how she reacts to him and yep. how you see him affecting her yep. um, in her eyes, in her voice. In reality, because imagine working behind a bar and that walks oh through my the God. door. <laughs> just picture it as a real thing. Everyone In a like, small town. What? I, you know, you're, I would like to be naked as soon, you know, as soon as possible. I don't care it's 1953. Where's Summer with Monica? I want to go in that movie with him. Yes. Go, um, going on the boat with Brando. And she sees his, you know, it's classic. She sees he's kind of sensitive and sexy with her. Right. But she also wants to be taken. I mean, it's very... It's classic. Yes. You know? Yes, it is. No, it's, it's great. And I, I will, the old, the last thing I'll say about it, uh, far less intellectual than any of the other things we're talking about is this movie literally like the, the, the Genesis of get off my lawn. What do you think you're doing here? Get off my lawn. Come on, get out of here. Now listen, you bunch of hooligans, you're causing up trouble. The guy comes out and says, get off my lawn. And I've just heard that expression my entire life. I wonder if that's one of those, you know, it's like when you watch an old episode of Simpsons and you're like, oh, that's where that came from. Um, Right. But yes, it is a it is a get off my lawn movie. Uh, unless you're smoldering and sexy and you have great sideburns. So yeah, you so want to be hanging out with the bikers, not the people in town for sure. Exactly. Bunch of fucking squares. (laughs) All right, Sheila, that is an excellent top five. Thank you so much for bringing it to us. That was so fun. And now a word from our sponsor. Film lovers rejoice. The New York Film Festival returns September 29th through October 15th. Passes are on sale now. And not only do they give you access to new films from Todd Haynes, Sofia Coppola, Michael Mann, and more filmmakers from around the world. But you also get tickets before they go on sale to the general public this September. Discover which festival pass is right for you so you can secure your seats to the year's best movies. Learn more at filmlink.org slash NYFF. That's NYFF, the New York Film Festival. All 
All right, let's find out what films were winning trophies and making money in 1953. Here is Mike with awards and box office. Uh, this is going to be a short section because looks like one movie won everything. Best picture, best director to Fred Zinneman, best supporting actor to Fred, Sin- Fred Sinatra. That's that's a typo. Let's take that from the top. <laughs> no, we're just going to call him no, Fred. No, from now on on this show, God his fucking it. name is Fred. <laughs> We cannot disrespect the man who gives us the closing needle drop in that way, Michael. Best picture, best director to Fred Zinneman, best supporting actor to Frank Sinatra, best supporting actress to Donna Reed, best adapted screenplay to Daniel Teradash for From Here to Eternity. Yes, indeed. I'm going to put some harps in there. <laughs> Sheila, what are, you, what, are, what are your thoughts on From Here to Eternity? I mean, I love From Here to Eternity. I actually took a little tour of the the base. You have to get permission to go in Hawaii. Nice. Um, I was like, oh, I want to see. I mean, I love From Here to Eternity. I, you know, it's, um, I think the other one was Roman Holiday one, or at least was like a top of many lists, which I'm not as kind of fond of, but um, sorry, everybody. But um, <laughs> I mean, I can see why it won. Look at that cast. Amazing cast. They're all great in it. I came to it because I was obsessed with Montgomery Clift. Mm-hmm. He was one of my early, mm-hmm. you know, teenage, like, okay, I got to see that. Um, so, you know, it's typical. Of course it won everything. It's, yes, it's got it all. Yes. But I just you know. saw this one myself for the first time. I went three or four months ago. Um, Cause a new 4k came out and I had just finished reading this incredible two part Frank Sinatra biography, the James Kaplan uh, books. Um, I've been, yeah, a lot of people have told me they're about really that. good, but it really makes you want to go see what he was doing and from here to eternity. And it is, it's, it's, it's a pretty incredible performance by him. Um, hundred yeah. percent. And yeah, I think they all were like really working at the top of their game. Yeah. They're all very entertaining. I, I love the movie. Yep. Did you know he had a brother named Fred? All right. Not everybody knows Keep that. Keep it moving. Uh, <laughs> best actor went to William Holden for Stalag 17. Well deserved. Well deserved. Well deserved. Best actress to Audrey Hepburn for Roman Holiday. Which we just mentioned. Uh, I, I'm I'm not nuts about Roman Holiday either. So don't I don't want you to feel like you're 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 stuck on that island by yourself. It's it's yeah. aggressively fine. It's yeah. Gregory I, Gregory Peck fine. is not a romantic lead. I'm sorry. I don't yeah. I don't I don't go along with him. I just don't have nostalgia for it um that i liked that moment in pretty woman better where they nodded anyway i just not not okay go on i don't i don't know if that counts as a deep cut but that's at least a medium cut there we go i recognized it immediately when i was at saw pretty woman Uh, in the theater i was like oh my god they just stole that from roman holiday and i like it a little bit better Best original screenplay went to Charles Brackett, Walter Reich, and Richard L. Breen for Titanic. Oh, not that one. Not that, that one. Was, not that one. No, I know. I know. Okay. 53. I think Farron wrote about that one. Okay. Got it. Interesting. I've not seen that Titanic. I don't think I have either. The, 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 the CGI is not as good. Um, some other significant award winners. Uh, Golden Globe for the best film drama went to The Robe. Sheila, have you I seen hear that's just a shot of a robe in a closet. How did that win a Golden Globe? It is such a bore. <laughs> I told you. Have you seen it? I've not. It's No, I saw it back, way back in the day on a horrible. I was like, even as a teenager, I was like, I'm so bored. I'm 
like literally uncomfortable. Yes. But wasn't that, wasn't, wasn't the big deal there that it was like the first or one of the first like real, like widescreen cinema scope sort of epic. Yes. And it it shows. Yes. Golden Globe for best actor drama went to Spencer Tracy for the actress. I've never even heard of the actress. Who else is in that? Who's the actress? Yeah, it seems like that award should have gone to a lady <laughs> who was in the actress. I don't know. Maybe she was playing an actress. Right, I gotta look that one up. That All sounds right. intriguing. Golden Globe for Best Actor, Comedy, or Musical went to David Niven for The Moon is Blue. That's oh yeah, directed by the aforementioned Otto Preminger, yes? And William Holden. That's ah. right. Yep, Otto Preminger. Got it. Busy year for, for Holden and Preminger then. Yeah, and Preminger. Got it. Golden Globe for Best Actress, Comedy or Musical, went to Ethel Merman for Call Me Madam. Call Me Madam! I don't know the song. I've not seen the movie. <laughs> Just will never miss an opportunity to do a, a bad Ethel a Merman. 1953 fact, okay? This is what I'm talking about. The old guard is still there. Yeah, yes. And nothing wrong with Ethel Merman. I don't want to, like, throw her in a ditch. I'm just saying, what a Thank weird... Thank you, Sheila! The same year we have that and the wild one? Yeah. Like, what the hell was going on, <laughs> Yep. Love that. Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actress went to Grace Kelly for Magambo. I've not seen Magambo. Magambo. I don't know if I've seen that either. I think Clark Gable. Golden Globe for Best Screenplay went to Lily. All right. And the Palm d'Or at Cannes went to The Wages of Fear. Hey, I've seen the shit out of that movie. That movie fucking rips. So that Europe. Europe had to give us that one. Yes, okay. they did. <laughs> Box office top 10. Number 10, Knights of the Round Table. Nope. Please tell me that was animated. <laughs> nope. Number nine was uh, Magambo. Yeah. Number eight, Salome. Okay. Right. Salome. Salome. Salome, maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like there was a later version that was pronounced Salome, but I just read it Salome like a proper <laughs> fucking hick. <laughs> Thank you go. very much. I mean, I could be wrong. No, you're you're probably right. Mike, carry on. Number seven, gentlemen prefer blondes. Hey, Sheila, where do you sit on that one? I love that movie. Yeah. I love that movie. Yeah. It's it's, it's t- completely entertaining and I don't I don't scorn that at all. Yeah, yeah. Hawks Hawks. Kind of could do every single genre, yes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. Number six was House of Wax. That's I... the one with Paris Hilton, right? No, God damn it, Michael. Um, <laughs> no, the I I love House of Wax um because it's one of the uh I, I have a 3D uh Blu-ray player and projector situation and so I can watch House of Wax in 3D and it's like we'll this was like the first year for 3D and so it's one of those gloriously like they're so gauche about it like any excuse to just heave some shit at the camera they take and like I love it don't pretend like 3D is art it's a fucking novelty and treat it that way and Vin- yeah. Vincent Price is great and I love House of Wax number 5 Disney's Peter Pan ooh good one yes yeah Number four, How to Marry a Millionaire. Sheila, you like that one, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Marilyn. That's a lot of Marilyn this year. Big year for Marilyn. He was, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Number three. This this one's a favorite in in, uh, in my, my parents' household nowadays. Shane. Shane is so good. I he it was on my list for a while and I decided I, I love Shane so much. Yeah. 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 What's it what is so special about Shane? Because people get really people like Mike said, people get really rhapsodic about that. Yeah. I actually wrote this weird little piece for Film Comment about a great double bill uh, that I think should happen is Shane and Richard Linklater's Everybody Wants Some. Um, <laughs> really? 
I happened to watch them on the same day with my one of my best friends, Mitchell, and he was like, "This is a treatise on masculinity. This whole thing is like, you know, kind of the way men um, shame disturbs people. Yeah. I don't know. I think definitely a gay reading of it. Yeah, um, queer reading. Um, but I also, I don't know." Wow. He's another one, kind of a Brando type character who just kind of walks through a room and changes everybody wow. from his charisma. Um, I love Shane. Yeah. 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 Good movie. Very uh, well-deserved. Number two is From Here to Eternity. Good as mentioned. Shot. Yes. Mm-hmm. Did quite well. And number one, <laughs> because people love to sleep in air conditioning in the summer, <laughs> The Robe Big, was number one. Huge box for the office year. hit. Big success. What? The robe. Look, Mike, <laughs> the screen the screen was so wide, Mike. You have to understand how wide the screen was <laughs> and what a big fucking deal that was and how that was going to take down TV because TV was a square and this was a big ass rectangle and uh, there's a Bible movie on it. So come see the robe. It's a big deal. Isn't that, isn't that I think it was George Steven said something like they finally figured out a way how to film a snake because <laughs> yes. nice. it's long and thin yes um, and basically felt that was the only thing it was good for yes yeah <laughs> again 1953 a lot of crazy shit was going on and it's predicting where we're it's like the moment before yes it's like big year on that yeah there we go all right sheila you ready to do a lightning round yes okay i'm scared no okay. you're gonna do right. great you're gonna do great you're gonna do awesome Okay, um, Mike's going to put five minutes on the clock. I'm going to run you down a bunch of titles. Say as little or as much as you'd like. Pass if you haven't seen it or have nothing to say. Here we go. Mitsuguchi's Yugetsu. I'm haunted by it. I've seen it once. I still remember some of the shots, and I probably saw it like 20 years ago. The great Sam Fuller's pickup on South Street. A fave, also one of the contenders for my top five. I think Thelma Ritter has a high, um, yes, high watermark of acting in that monologue. I, it's yeah, a, amazing movie, incredible. Ingmar Bergman was busy in '53. Also put out a little picture called Sawdust and Tinsel. I love Sawdust and Tinsel as well. Yeah, The Big Heat was released in 1953. Another great, a, a great yes. I I don't know what to say, but yes, love The Big Heat. Two by the great Ida Lupino, The Hitchhiker, and The Bigamist, both out in the same year. Another one I wanted to put on my list just because she's the only woman that was out there doing it. And um, they're both, The Hitchhiker is an interesting movie because it's not a movie you'd expect a woman to make. And, you know, she went on to have this really fascinating career um, and she had already been great as an actress. So, yeah. Mr. Douglas Sirk put out a picture called All I Desire. I just saw that for the first time on Criterion. Oh, wow. They were screening yeah. it. I've never seen it. And it's fantastic. It's black and white. Barbara Stanwyck. Awesome. Anything Barbara Stanwyck is in, I'm there. I'm fucking there. Marilyn somehow also had time to star in Niagara in 1953. I, th- to me, that's hot. That's peak Marilyn. Mm. Uh, it, but it's different. It's different. It's It's one of those movies where she's not just she she's always wonderful and i love her but niagara is another level i don't know nice i've never written about it and i'd like to explore why i feel this way but editors any editors listening take note 
uh, two by the bang up combo of star Jimmy Stewart and director um, Anthony Mann, uh, the naked spur and thunder Bay. Yes. I I love their, their pairing. Um, Yeah. Love naked. John Huston's insane beat the devil was released in 1953. (laughs) You feel everything just going off the rails in real time, you know, and I've read almost every memoir of every single person. (laughs) And you can't believe any of them, you know, it's very funny. Not the game show. The motion picture Jeopardy was released in 1953. That's also Barbara Stanwyck, if I'm thinking nice. of the right one. That was John Sturgis and Ralph Meeker. And it's a pretty dark little movie. And it's I think it's less than an hour long. It's really good. And she, I'm thinking of the right one. Sorry. Sheila, how about Blue Gardenia? I saw that one recently. Um, I'd need to see it again. It's beautiful, but I can't really remember it. Sorry. Well, here's one I'll bet you remember vividly. Edward Wood's Glenn or Glenda released in 53. Yes. Well, I was thinking about that because of one of your facts <laughs> yes. the, uh, coming in. Um, I think there's, uh, like I said, 1953 was wild, man. <laughs> I love Glenn Yeah. The Bandwagon. Didn't that win? I think that won some awards as well. Um, it has one of my favorite uh, dance numbers in it with Fred Astaire and um, Sid Charisse, where they're in the kind of club and she emerges in her red dress i love the bandwagon the magnificent war of the worlds was released in 53 War of the worlds i you know i can't comment i've seen it sorry it came from outer space which also could have been a title for war of the worlds another one which goes along with another one of your facts opening this is um you know ufos are beginning to um take over i saw that one I think a midnight show at like i don't know music box in chicago or something anyway i love that jacques tati's monsieur helus holiday that was another contender for the top five because we're seeing the beginnings of careers that are just gonna just be so influential mm-hmm. yeah um bonwell's l uh-huh i haven't seen that one marlon brando in a real show of versatility uh co-star or co-starred in this year's adaptation of julius caesar oh that was 53 yeah i love it i love that and i love the stories of his process to get all of those words in his mouth and he worked really really hard at that yeah uh vincent minnelli's the bad and the beautiful i mean i think it's a fucking masterpiece and like this amazing (laughs) um one of the best Hollywood yes. movies about Hollywood. That's another one that I had not, I had heard about it before I saw it so many years. And I had heard about the scene with Lana Turner in the car, the scene mm. with Lana Turner in the car. And then it came and I was like, oh, that's why everybody freaking talked about that scene. <laughs> it's as good as everybody says it is. You think it's going to be at this level. And then it explodes. Anyway, I love that movie. All right. Our five minutes has run out. But since you mentioned the actor previously, I must ask your thoughts on Hitchcock's. I Confess, starring Montgomery Clift. Montgomery Clift. That one, who, yeah, I I mean, I saw it during my Montgomery Clift phase. It's been a long time since I've seen it. It's kind of sad and melancholy. I don't know. All right. I love it. You passed on one. That's like top 10% lifetime of the show. That's nice. Very nice work on the lightning round, (laughs) Sheila. Yeah, there's You were nervous. 
Definitely. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Killed it. Crushed. Killed it. Crushed it. All right, yeah. folks. We're going to throw it to our friend W. Axel Foley for a quick PSA. Head on over to your favorite podcasting app. Give us a star, a rate, a review. Give us a written review and tell us that you love us because that's what lets people know that we're here. All right, Sheila, where can people follow you on social media? Um, You know, nowhere because I'm not on there. Um, no, I'm kidding. Um, I mean, I have a Twitter account, Sheila Kathleen. Um, I'm on, I'm, I don't know, I'm active on Instagram, which I just, I don't know, I'm trying to. What am I talking about? I have a site, my own site, yes. SheilaOmalley.com. I write reviews every week for Roger Ebert, and um, that's where I am. There we go. She also wrote the uh, the uh, liner notes. I know that's not what it's called, but I still call it that for uh, Criterion's After Hours. Coming out. Uh, oh, shit. Jason, I would like to know uh, how how you feel about that. Did I, you know that? Would you have invited her on if you would have known she got to do that instead of you? You know what? Uh, if someone else is, is going to do it, beef now. If someone else is going to do it, Sheila O'Malley you should do it. Brought it to the Paris. Were you the one who I, hosted that? I was not. Um, I did Taxi Driver because I'm a basic bitch. But um, I do. I do but love. But he after, loves after I do hours. Love after hours, I mean, loves. Took this guy amazing. to see it at Film Forum. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, great movie. Congratulations on that. I can't I'm wait really to read it. I'm really happy they're doing it. There's a whole Reddit board that they've been like harassing Criterion <laughs> for years for this particular movie. As I didn't even know this existed, but um, there a friend sent it to me, and they were like, "We did it!" Like, <laughs> like when, they, when Criterion made the announcement, <laughs> these guys were like, "We did it!" I know a lot of people who like their favorite Scorsese and one movie. of their favorites. It's a great movie. I'm really excited to read. Yeah. I'm really excited to read your, your Criterion note on After one. Hours. Yeah. Very excited a, for that. It was a fun one. All right, I am Fun City Cinema on Instagram, Jason Dash Bailey on Twitter and Letterboxd, where you can find under my lists the top five for every single episode of the show. Mike, where can people follow you? I am at Brainwashed Lib on Twitter. And don't forget to follow us on Substack, a very good year.substack.com, where paid subscribers get bonus episodes and bonus writing and much, much more. Mike, before we go, what is your favorite movie of the year 1953? My favorite movie of 1953 is called Statues Also Die. It's a French movie. It's a documentary. It's about 30 minutes long. And it is about, it starts with African art in a museum. And they're talking about this African art as sort of a dead thing that lives in this museum. And then a black lady comes and looks at it. And all of a sudden, they are talking about it as a living, breathing thing. And they're talking about the people that created it. And the movie then goes to Africa and hangs out with people who are, you know, and talks about how now this sort of formerly sacred material has become like a commercial item. And now they're just sort of teaching people to make these things that used to contain the spirits of their ancestors. And they put them in boxes and shipped them off to France. And it's like it is a genuine and deep exploration of what it means to be a sort of like white person in the global community and and the way you t the way we talk about art yeah. that was created by black people and not just black people but like african people not sort of like people that we went to school with right. who had a different experience of it but people who are still in many ways sort of living a in a diff in a world that is different because we have kept them from joining 
hours and it is an exploration of a perspective from that era i just i've never seen you know i've read things that are sort of on that level of of exploration of what it means to be sort of white at the end of colonization right but i've never seen a, i've i haven't seen movies in the last 5 years that explore it as <laughs> deeply and as sort of sensitively and internally yeah. and and personally and genuinely as this movie does and you know um they don't uh not everything would pass like modern Twitter filters. Sure. You know, sort of, right? I mean, but also this was 70 fucking years ago. Yeah. And and the fact that they're trying and, yeah. and hitting and sort of getting as close as they are mm-hmm. is actually really fascinating. Plus, it's it's beautifully shot. There's all kinds of wild, funky editing. Statues also die. It's a really good movie. Yeah. Um, I'm looking for it immediately. That sounds incredible. Nice. I haven't seen that. How about you, Thank Jason? You. But it's going to be Tokyo Story. Like... <laughs> I'm getting way too close to it being Tokyo Story. How about you, Jason? <laughs> I went with Little Fugitive, which is an incredible uh, made in New York, early indie, um, really key uh, film sort of influencing that it was pinpointed as a big influence on like French new wave cinema and stuff like that, because, you know, these were documentary filmmakers who made it, who were using light handheld cameras and sort of, you know, very early sync sound and things like that to, to make a really lightweight and sort of captured on the fly movie. That's, there's not a lot to it. It's about a little kid who thinks he's in trouble. So he runs away to Coney Island and then it just, they hang out with him in Coney Island for like an hour and change. It's so um, good though, but he's it's like so seven good. or eight years old in Coney by himself with like three oh. bucks. <laughs> it's a great movie. He's having a great time. It's a wonderful sort of portrait of that era in that moment which you know i'm always a sucker for but it also really gets at something sort of basic and timeless about just being a little kid and going and having a good time by yourself and having an adventure uh and there's a wonderful blu-ray of it from uh from kino lorber so pick that up a little little fugitive my pick for the year thank you again sheila thank you so much for having me this was so fun thank you mike thank you jason and thank you for listening It was a very good year.